So I titled today's message From Darkness into Light, and I wanted to kind of build on a little bit, take a little bit of a different um, approach to um, Genesis. I'm not taking on any of that cosmos stuff. None of that, all right? Like, I'm like, I, I love it, though. It's very interesting. Um, our God is a creative God, and he's made all of these things. And, you know, you, you have this argument sometimes around this line that, well, if the universe is so large, I mean, it's just so arrogant to think that, uh, that God would put man on this little teeny planet. And if you've never had an opportunity to see the, uh, the DVD that Louis Giglio did uh, called Indescribable, based upon the song, we sang it last week, you know, Indescribable, Uncontainable. He actually does a, a, an incredible message on the idea of the cosmos, and he uses pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope, and he paints this gigantic picture of God. And, and sometimes we're like, well, it's just so arrogant to think we're at the center. But the, the, the reality of it, or the biblical idea of the greatness of the universe is not about the significance of man. It's not about us. That's actually part of the knowledge of good and evil that we inherited from our fathers because of the fruit that they ate. You know, they ate that piece of fruit. And so we, we have this tendency um, to put ourselves at the center of all things. But the greatness of the universe is there for the declaration of God's praise, for the declaration of His glory. The greatness of the universe is great because the God of the Bible, hopefully our God, the God that, uh, that put this book together, the God that sent His Son into the world to die and to be buried and to be raised the third day, is the one that the universe speaks of. In fact, the scriptures even attest to that. The Holy Spirit wrote and said uh, through the psalmist that the heavens declare the glory of God and they sing His praise day in and day out. And so we sing songs and hymns for thousands of years. In fact, this morning I was going through my Bible reading. Um, I'm in Second Chronicles, actually, is where I'm at. And it was one of those Old Testament times when the king uh, got together and, and there was one of the kings that were godly and wanted to follow God. And I was just amazed at the fact that uh, he gathered them all together into a, uh, a time of praise and singing. And I was thinking, you know, because it really is unique. Uh, we've said before, driving down the street, or, dri- you know, if you tune in the radios, like you don't, you don't find other um, music-oriented stations of religious content outside of Christianity. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like songs of praise that have been sung for thousands of years. And you can tune through the bands and you can actually hear them. Singing has always been, I think, at the heart of God. In fact, the Bible even encourages us in Colossians 3.16 that when we get together that we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. But there's something there uh, about sanctification and something about the life of God and something about our connectivity, our rejoicing and our sorrow. There's, there's songs in the Psalms of, of, of great difficulty as well as songs of rejoicing and God has given us music in that arena um, to praise His name. So that's kind of, we're heading down this pathway. Uh, and the message is, out of darkness into light. So what do we have? God as creator. I love that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Right in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that name, the Hebrew name there is Elohim. You want to say it with me? Elohim. Yeah, I like that name, actually. It's kind of a fun name. Uh, I've, I've encouraged, the last time I had an opportunity to speak, I spoke on one of God's compound names which was the Lord our righteousness. And again, I just want to encourage you, um, and I'll probably say this again, but read your Bibles. You know what I mean? Like, it's challenging. It's challenging actually to get into the Word. There's something spiritual about it. Um, there's something too that can be quite challenging about it from time to time. 
Uh, I know sometimes you, you know you, you pick up the Bible depending on the type of Bible reading plan that you have. And if you if you don't have a Bible reading plan and you're interested in something like that, come and talk to me or someone else at church. I'm sure we can point you in the right direction. I actually use media to do mine. My Bible readings are done via podcast. For those of you who actually know what that is. Uh, so there's this guy, Brian Harden, I've talking about him before, but there's all kinds of great resources out there, things that you can study along. If you have a computer, you can even chat with others that are actually um, doing the same Bible reading, so you can actually be encouraged, even if you don't have a fellowship group around Bible reading. But I want to encourage you in that. Read the scriptures, come to know him in a greater way, come to know his name. Our God is a creator God, Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love that fact. The fact that he made everything and the earth was formless and void. And I've said this before, but it seems like to me, and I know Paul was talking about this last week in all the different theories about creation. You know, is it, is it an old earth, an old man, like theistic evolution or just naturalistic evolution? Or, or uh, is it an old earth and young man? That's a theory that's out there as well. You know, that God reformed the earth 6,000 years ago and that's when God created man. Or young earth and young man, that's sort of an idea. But either way, what we have today is we know that God set the boundaries of a day. And how did he do that? By the creative ability, he put the earth at a certain tilt and actually spins the earth at a certain uh, speed. And that one revolution of the earth actually creates one day, which is a pretty incredible thing. And then we get our year from what? from the fact that the earth actually revolves around the sun in a single year, about 365 days. Sometimes, uh, in, in fact, in the book of Genesis, you see this, that God actually put things in the heavens for signs and seasons and that sort of a stuff. So um, there's the moon, and the moon goes through different phases, which is incredible, actually. Uh, I like this season of year when we go into summer. I like spring probably the best, and then summer, and then fall is, you know, autumn. For those of you who love I'm not like distant on autumn or whatever, just kind of... You know, that's not all my thing. But I do like the fact of the harvest moons. You know what I'm talking about? The harvest moons. Like occasionally in the fall time, uh, when the moon is actually rising on the horizon, like right as the sun is setting, and it, it's like the atmosphere somehow magnifies the moon, and it is so huge. It actually looks like you can actually reach out and touch it. It's just so incredible, God's creative ability. Uh, and I've said, too, if you have a calendar at home, we have this mom calendar. I don't know if you guys have anything like that, but we have a mom calendar. Uh, it's this huge calendar that is on um, the side of the refrigerator at our house. And it's got a lot of spaces to write stuff in. And actually, it was, it was working pretty good until the guys came home from college. Because then they got a job and uh, they started printing out their, um, you know, their schedules and stuff. And then they would post their schedules like right over the mom calendar. And we actually missed a couple of events. You know, and I'm like, we're like, look, you, you cannot put your, your work schedule on top of the mom calendar. Because we could miss important and critical events, okay? And, and so I think Reg just kind of dealt with that. But in either direction, even on the mom calendar, like the phases of the moon are on there. So you can actually see most calendars have them on there. And so it kind of defines different sorts of mo- like months and seasons. Even in the Old Testament, and the New Testament mentions this too, that there were like new moon Sabbaths and celebrations that they would do. And so months and stuff. And then I've said this before, but where do we get our week from? Where do we get our week from? That's the trick one, right? Yeah, from creation, because God created everything in uh, six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And I love that picture, too. I love that picture. Paul actually paints this picture from time to time about the fact that the seventh day, the day that God rested. By the way, do you think God needed to rest? Do you think he was like, oh, I'm just so tired. I just need to take a break. Do you guys feel like that sometimes if you're working hard? You know, some of you might not. By the way, I really encourage, uh, maybe one day we'll talk about that. I don't know if Paul will do it or not, but... uh, uh, I, I like to think of the Sabbath and stuff, and I, I really plan and try and have Sabbath time. And I think that God's heart is about that. 
and uh, something just to think about, not to get too legalistic about it, but on the seventh day he rested, which is really interesting. Like he rested from his creative abilities. And I love how Paul paints the picture, our pastor Paul paints the picture that uh, that's the first day, that the first full day that man, because God created man on the previous day, if they're creative days, like 24-hour days, like the day of, you know, one earth revolution, one earth spinning um, around the day. And God had just created Adam that previous day, so his first full day alive was a day that he could spend in communion with God, in resting with God, which is incredible. And then we all know what happened. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the temptation, and Satan, and Adam and Eve, and the difficulties that our parents actually had, and the taking of the fruit, and the eating of the fruit. And interesting, interestingly enough, after that, um, the Bible actually says, in, in the book of John, Jesus actually states that his father has been working and is working and that he is working along with the father. And that's kind of where I want to head with this message about out of darkness and into the light. The fact of the matter is, and, and all of this is about the Lord, about Elohim. Want to say it with me again? Elohim. That he is a creative God who, who is at work, who has been at work. He took a rest on the seventh day. And I'm thinking maybe there's other days that he rests, I suppose. But ever since the fall, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been working out a plan that they already had in advance. I know sometimes we think about it like, you know, crisis happens in our life and we're like, oh no, we need a plan. Get them on calendar. Or, oh no, we need a plan. Let's, what are we going to do from here? But that's not kind of how uh, God works. Um, he's not finite in that case. He's not surprised by detours. It didn't take him by surprise what happened. And so we have in the scriptures the fact that he is the Alpha and the Omega outside of time, this picture of God seeing the end from the beginning. Even in time, space, through prophets, through the Spirit of God, Peter said that, um, that men did not write prophecy of their own accord, but rather that the Holy Spirit actually inspired them to write these things. But God, seeing the whole scope of history, spoke by the Holy Spirit through people and recorded stuff so that he really does see the end from the beginning. In fact, he even said that in certain cases. Like, I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you will know that it is I, that, that I am involved, that I am the one who is involved in creation, in the middle of creation. You know, it's a challenging thing because um, God is invisible. The Bible clearly says that, that he's the invisible God that he dwells in inapproachable light. Um, I think about the story, one of the, one of the more interesting things when you take that sort of teaching about God and Moses and how God actually spoke with Moses, there's a couple of things about Moses that are always stunning to me. One of them is uh, when God attested that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. The Bible actually says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And the other thing was, was that God actually stated that uh, I speak with Moses like one friend speaks to another friend. Like I speak with him. He comes into the tent and we commune with one another. He came up on the mountain. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He actually did that several times, remember, because he broke, the, he broke the, uh, tablet, the tablets and then God made him cut the tablets out. And God has like, a, you know, he's got that loving, disciplinary severity from time to time, teaching us lessons sometimes. We try and do that sometimes. You know, I'm cracking down here. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? Has God ever given you tablets before and then you've cracked them on the ground he's like, all right, now go make them. Now you're going to have to work for it a little bit harder. There's always, he always gets us where he wants us to go. Sometimes we take detours and it takes a little bit longer for some of us, especially if we're a little bit thicker headed. But he said that God would commune with him and uh, at one time, Moses actually said, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And do you remember what God said? Do you remember what he said? He's like, no one can see me. No one can see me and live. 
And, but he was so willing to, to reach out towards Moses. He's like, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to put you in this rock. So I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, like right here. I'm just going to stick you in here, in this little cleft, put my hand over you, and then I'll walk by you, and then you can just look at me from behind. But you can't look at my face. You can't see my face. And so, uh, you know, because that was Moses, show me your glory, show me your glory. And we have that story. Um, God is at work unveiling his beauty. And, and I know uh, my heart's desire, and I hope it's your heart's desire, is to commune with him um, like Moses. In fact, and we're going to see this as we work through the text today, that uh, we have a ministry that's even greater than that. A, a ministry where we actually can see the glory of God unveiled in the face of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to look at that. So we have this, these names of God. And in the Old Testament, it says, good to study his names. Um, the psalmist actually writes and says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it's good to actually know that. So our God is a creator. And he's been creating from the very beginning. And he continues to create today. Jesus himself said, my father is at work. And also, he asks us to join him in that work. I'm going to take a look at that. So open up your Bibles to the, to the book of Acts, chapter 26 is where I want to go. Acts chapter 26. I love the story of Paul's conversion. Um, there's this guy, John Acuff. I, I think I mentioned him before. He actually writes a blog, if you're online at all. It's like a, a, an online like little news thing that he does. Uh, it's called Stuff That Christians Like. I have a messed up sense of humor. Um, I think that's kind of what allows us to maintain some level of sanity in working with junior hires specifically. Um, so, you know, because it's, it's a little bit of insanity. It, it requires just a little bit of taste of insanity to, to really be fruitful in that sort of an area. Anyway, um, he likes to poke fun at, at Christian culture sometimes, which I think is funny because we are kind of peculiar. Sometimes in, like, not the, not the good peculiar sense, sometimes we're just kind of just all out goofy. And, uh, and so we need to be made fun of from time to time. Anyway, uh, so he, he does that. And he says that he was saying at one point that... Um, Sometimes we think that our testimonies, if our testimonies are not like these huge, incredible testimonies, you know, of, of darkness and light and, and huge, magnificent transformation, that, that they're just not as much fun. And so, in fact, he even said at one point, he's like, we, we, we make this huge, like 98% of the testimony is all this wicked stuff. And we're like, I was like this and then this and, and this happened and I was so bad. And then Jesus saved me. And that is all. And we, we like glory and all these. In fact, it's interesting because Paul actually writes in Romans, he says, well, what benefit were we then gaining from the things that we're now ashamed of? But we tend to do that. Uh, the reality of it is, is that God saves us, all of us, in the same way. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of goes like this. You're walking down the street, minding your own business, and a giant rock falls on you and crushes you, and you're under the weight of the rock. You're trying to figure out, how in the world can I get out from this rock? And then Jesus comes and lifts the rock out. Do you know what I'm talking about? First time I ever read Pilgrim's Progress, he was in the city of destruction and he had this giant burden on his back and he wanted to get rid of the burden, but he didn't know how to get rid of the burden. And then the evangelist came, you've got to go that way. He's like, but my family and the city and, and the end of the world is coming and what's going to happen? And oh, no, no, no. And the reality of it is, if you've been saved, we've all been saved in the same way. And Paul has been saved in the same way as ours, but his testimony is really incredible. The way I've told the kids before, uh, and, I, and I, I try and stress this, the reality of it is, is that uh, the whole, whole, whole ability to search our hearts and unveil the depth of our depravity without having to experience it in the physical. I'm telling you, he's got the ability for us to get to the place 
where, 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 where will agree with Paul's assessment of himself, where he says, I am the worst of all sinners. And I have sin type meetings. Are you with me? Okay, so I can qualify for those things because sin has, has, has taken each one of us. So we're taking a look at Paul. This is actually a little bit farther down the road, and you guys remember the story. Paul actually was um, standing. Yeah, he's like, hey, you know what? When you're picking up that rock, that cloak is just not going to do it. If you really want to hit Stephen really hard, your coat off, I'll hold it. That way you can get a better throw in, you know? So if you want, come on over here and I'll take it. And he had gotten the letters, you know, to persecute the believers. And uh, so he was on his way there. And then this blinding light appears, right? The blinding light appears. He falls off his horse. He's blinded. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, there's other people with him. And some of them seem to hear a voice. Some of them seem to hear thunder, you know, like the voice of thunder. In either direction, what actually occurs is he has a meeting with Jesus. And he's like, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so I'm in Acts chapter 26. Um, this is actually a little bit later in the story. This is actually when he's um, before King Agrippa. So uh, chapter 26 and verse 14. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And then this is the key verse where we're going to spend a little bit of time and we're going to look at the parallel passage too. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That is just an incredible uh, kernel of text. I was telling David uh, uh, yesterday, I'm like, well, I'm in trouble. Because the reality of it is, each one of those phrases in there actually is like an entire sermon series. You know what I'm talking about? Like a whole series. I mean, just look at it. Look at what Jesus said. Number one, I want you to open up their eyes. I'm going to send you to them to open up their eyes. Why? so that they might turn from darkness unto light, so that they might move out of darkness and might come into the light. And then what's next? And this is kind of a parallel thing. What? From the power of Satan unto God. We try and make fun of that stuff from time to time, but there's some reality to it. You know what, I mean? you know what I'm saying? Like Satan made me do it, or, or that kind of stuff. And there, it, It's kind of strange too, but we make movies about that sort of stuff, and, and we have video games that are about like spiritual-themed stuff. And I think it, it's meant to kind of dumb down sort of this so that when we talk about the reality of it, that there really is a dominion, that there really is a kingdom, and that there really are spiritual forces that are out to kill us, that want to kill us, that we're like, ah, I don't know, that's not, I don't know. That sounds like fiction to me. But there's the story. I want you to turn from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins. That's a whole series right there, right? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. That reminds me of John 14 where he says, hey, I'm, I'm heading out of here and I'm going back to my Father and I'm going to prepare a, a place for you. I'm going to prepare, prepare a place for you. So here it is again in the very beginning, Paul's commission. Um, Paul's commission. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, this is really interesting too, because um, I'm going I'm to kind of illustrate this. The focus, the focus of where I'm heading out of darkness into light will be the focus on Christ. But I, I don't want 
I don't want us to miss the fact that there is this call. Are you with me? The call? What's the call? The call of Paul to be a, a minister of reconciliation. Now, don't get me wrong. Each one of us, some of us are, are not going to receive the same apostolic call as Paul. Are you with me? We're not going to be the apostle. However, you and I do have the burden of the great commission on us, which is what? Go, therefore, into all the world, teaching everything that I have commanded unto you, and baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. So what I'm saying is, part of this movement of darkness into light is also this call of God upon us to come to follow Christ, to take up our cross. By the way, that's so significant that he would say that. You know, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, even before he was crucified, he used to say that like a lot. I mean, it makes you wonder. How many times when they were going to feast that they would see people on the cross, you know, walking by and see people dying on the cross, and then, and then he would choose that. I mean, think about it. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, we, we're reading it with our background in history, and we don't, sometimes we miss the gravity of it. But can you just imagine, you know, you're just walking by. I mean, he hasn't even begun to teach that he's going to die on a cross necessarily yet. And he's like, I just want you to know that you see those guys dying like that? That's the kind of... I need you to take up your cross and follow me. Now, I think he was pointing to the fact that he was going to die on the cross. And so today we look at it slightly different. But think about the gravity of his followers at the time. Like, what in the world is he talking about? That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'll follow him, you know. I mean, he's going to give me free food and he's going to be a king one day and I'll get some stuff. And, and I, I, you know, I love that story with James and John. They're like, He's not listening to us. Let's go get mom, you know. Come on, mom, mom, mom. Could you go talk to Jesus and see if, like, when he comes into his power, like, we could sit on his right and his left. And I'll tell you, like, if you do that, you know you're going to be taken care of, mom. So if you just help us out in this one little thing right here, this one little thing that we'll be taken care of. So, uh, anyways, the, the commission of God. We have this commission, the commission to come and to call. So Paul's commission, to open up their eyes, to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, receiving the forgiveness of sins, and also a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Each one of those is its own sermon series. All right, the next, uh, the next thing um, that I want to look at is in Second uh, Chronicle or Second Corinthians chapter four. So, if you want to turn over there, Second Corinthians chapter four. <clears throat> I said this before. Second uh, Corinthians, like, take the time to read your Bible. Second Corinthians is so beautiful. Uh, chapter three, Hebrews has this too. This absolute. I, I love actually. I'll be honest. Like, I love spending time in some of the Old Testament texts. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're difficult. Some of them are very difficult. I don't always understand. Like some of the prophets are like, Dude, what in the world is he talking about? You know, I have no idea. I have no idea. And uh, there are some things that aren't like super exciting. You know, um, like some of the genealogies and numbers are not super exciting. I'm just being honest with you. It's like, oh man. And this guy begat that guy. And then there was another beginning and a beginning over here. And then this one and that. And I can't even pronounce the names and stuff. I can't even pronounce them in my mind. I'm trying to, but I can't. On the other hand, there are there is some mysteries. Like, for example, uh, I threw this out here uh, in the 8 o'clock service. Just, this is a kind of a sidebar, so I'm going to rabbit trail this for a minute. But um, this is really interesting. You guys can look this up for yourself. I'm just going to throw it. This is a whole other message. At all. I used to listen to years ago this, uh, this show. It's called The Christian Jew Hour. And I loved that show, man. I loved it. Because it was like this Jewish rabbi who would teach stuff from like a Jewish background sort of thing about Christianity. And one of the messages that he gave over like a two-week period, it was a two-week period, 30 minutes a day, just letting you know. Like I'm going to try and wrap it all up in about three minutes. Um, so what he was talking about was the, the genealogies in uh, Genesis chapter 5, which starts with Adam and goes through Noah. 
So all of those guys there, all of the, the patriarchs that are listed in, uh, in Genesis chapter 5. You know, and you read through it and it's like, and Adam was, you know, uh, was 130 years old when Seth was born and then Seth and Adam lived to be 930 years and then he died. And then Seth was like this age and then he, and then he had his son and then, uh, and, then, and then he lived this long. And, you know, you read through it and you're like, oh, that's slow when you skip through that real quick, right? Well, if you've ever used a... Um, uh, an exhaustive concordance or like a Hebrew lexicon. You know what I'm talking about? Hebrew lexicon? I, I want to encourage you guys. I've said this before, but if you have a computer, get good Bible software. That's the reason why you have a computer. And, uh, or, if you, you know, learn how to study it. Or get out, like, blow the dust off of And you guys can look this up. But all of those Hebrew names have meanings. Each one of them has meanings. Like, for example, uh, Adam means, anybody? Like mud or man. Adam means man. Does anyone know what Seth means? Seth? Appointed? It means appointed, and the reason for that is, and you can look at it up. Look it up, and uh, that one is actually the definition is actually given right in the text. It says um, uh, they named him Seth because God had appointed a replacement for Abel. Because remember, Cain actually rose up and slew Abel, and then God said, "I'm going to send a deliverer." And so there's this idea around the fact that Seth was the appointed deliverer that was going to come, or was appointed another son in, in place of Abel. In either direction, you can actually look up the meaning of all of their names. Just go into like a Hebrew, like exhaustive concordance in the back, look them all up. The only one that you won't find there is Lamech. That's the only one you won't find there. And I'm not going to go into the details of the teaching at all. It has to do with the Hebrew letters and what the actual Hebrew letters actually mean. Okay? But the bottom line is you can look up all their names and what they mean. And this is what they mean. Ready? Man, and then Seth is appointed. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm just going to give you the definitions. Mortal, and then habitat. I like this one. Mahalalo is uh, the blessed God. That's what his name means. Mahalalo, the blessed God. And then to come or go down is the next meaning of the next name. Uh, teaching. And then I love. I like this one too. Methuselah. You know, his name means his death shall bring. And this is really interesting because uh, if you know, his father was Enoch, and Enoch was one of two people, Enoch and Elijah, that were taken off into glory. He, they did not die, right? They did not die at all. And all of this, by the way, is a preface to say, read your Bibles, by the way. Read and study your Bibles. Uh, Enoch was taken up, and so the Jewish, his teaching was that they believed that God had told Enoch that he was going to judge the earth, that the, that, that the earth was becoming more and more and more wicked, and he told them that, hey, look at what's going to happen is you're going to have a son, and when your son dies, I'm bringing judgment. And if you do all the math, what you're going to find out is that uh, um, Methuselah actually died in the year of the flood. Uh, God actually gives the date of the flood when Noah actually got onto the boat. I actually think because of God's uh, perfection and stuff that probably he died. Why wasn't Methuselah on the ark? Why wasn't he on there? He died during that year. That's what we can tell. Um, and so some people believe that, um, or the Jewish people, this teacher believed that God had revealed to him that that's why he was going to bring judgment when Methuselah died. Also an idea why maybe his life was extended. He was also the oldest man in the Bible, right? 969 years. Um, so some people are like, well, maybe he, you know, God extended his life. He actually lived longer than his father did. Um, okay, and then his death shall bring, and then uh, Lamech is captive, and then Noah's name means rest. And I'm just throwing this all out there. So when you put it all together in an English trip- interpretation of just the genealogy, it says um, man is appointed a mortal habitat, and the blessed God is to come or go down teaching his death shall bring the captives rest. Now, this isn't Jewish mysticism, I'm telling you. I looked it up. In fact, I took it to one of, this, one of our teachers that was like really anal. Never talked to Paul about this. He's like, there's just no way that that means that. I'm like, dude, look it up in your lexicon. And it is. It's all in there. 
So I'm just saying that even the genealogies, not Jewish mysticism, not Bible code, but even the genealogies, in this particular case, the gospel is actually wrapped up in the names of the patriarchs. How in the world did God do that? I'm just saying, he's limitless. He is absolutely limitless. God has a creative work. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting in verse, um, starting at, uh, let's just start in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, being sent by the mercy of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's words. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By the way, sidebar again, like there are people tampering with the word of God. There are people out there that are tampering with the word of God. And, and you've got to be careful. Like, if you don't know the book, how are you going to tell whether or not what I'm saying is true? Everything that I just told you could be a total lie. It could be a total lie, I'm just telling you. So how are you going to test whether or not what's being taught is actually true? And are you able to do that? All right, now verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Now here's the key verse again, the parallel passage to Acts 26. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Think back to Acts 26. What's going on? I want you to, I'm sending you to, Open their eyes, okay? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, okay? So what you have here is God still creating. Are you with me? This is the passage. This is the linkage. The linkage. Verse 6. The linkage to Genesis 1. That God is still creating. The God who said, let there be light, is still in the process of letting there be light. Um, I don't know what Reg did this year, but our garden is like blowing up. I mean, it's huge. It's, It's humongous. Our neighbors put in a garden, and they have cucumbers in their garden. And I'm serious. Like Their cucumbers are probably like, their cucumber plant is like the size of this, uh, of this thing. In our yard, the cucumber plant has like exploded out of the garden and it's half, it's like growing out into the yard. You know, it's, I'm serious. It's probably from this chair, you know, like over to here. And it's just huge. There's like cucumbers everywhere. Our neighbor came over like, what in the world did you do to that plant? How did you, how did you get that to be that way? Okay, so again, we do not create life. Are you with me? Reg actually put the seeds in the ground. Aiden might have helped a little bit in certain areas. And Sam, I think, planted some flowers too. But we put the stuff in the ground. We don't make the plant grow. We don't do that. God does that. But there is something to the ministry of reconciliation, that which Paul was called to, that which you and I are called to, where we have this responsibility to actually prepare the soil. There's some stuff that Reg did. It wasn't like she was just like, yeah, let me just go out there and throw some seeds. Let's see what happens. You know, I mean, everything is orderly. There's certain sticks and there's lines and there's plants that, now they're overgrowing one another. The cucumber plant is killing the corn, man. It was just like, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, no, I wanted the corn to grow. It was, that was the only thing, like she never grew corn before. So I only get two stalks, you know. My one request, like, can't we grow ch- corn? So I get like two stalks and what happens? The cucumber plants kill it. Well, the rabbits too, but either way. Um, we are in the process of having to, and God calls us to this ministry of reconciliation, which is kind of like gardening. In fact, Jesus even said it that way, that the sower goes out to sow the seeds, right? 
And so they throw the seeds, and there is some idea of the sowing, sowing the seed, where it's just actually throwing out. But there's some other aspects, too. There's other people in your life that you're tending that garden a little bit more. You can't make the light shine in their life. You can't force that to happen. That's a creative power, that life, that God has and only God has. But there is some responsibility that we have to actually weed the garden and to tend the garden and to speak the word of truth. How does faith come? How does faith come into the world? How does creation come into the world? God spoke it and it came into being. Uh, The Bible actually says, I think in Hebrews it says, for we believe that God made everything out of nothing by speaking a word. And everything was made by his creative voice power. He made everything out of nothing. And we believe that by faith. That's the whole aspect of this whole series that Paul is doing about creation. We believe that God made everything by faith. And that's what, what uh, through the word of God, we believe it. It's faith. How, does, how or where does faith come from? Well, in Romans chapter 10, it says that faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. And so there's this aspect to the fact that faith happens. God actually tells us how He works, how He speaks life into the lives of other people. And the way that He does that is the Word of God is spoken into the world. The Word of God is spoken into the world. And then in the mix of that speaking of the truth, the hearers hear the truth. You can read this in Ephesians chapter 1. It's beautiful. that You hear it and you believe it. And God says... Let there be light. And he speaks that word of creative power in the life of the individual and they see. And the scene is faith. Are you with me? The scene is faith and repentance. They come together at the same time. Either direction, that's how the word of God goes. And if you read in Romans chapter 10, it's like, how can people believe if a preacher is not sent? Thus we send. Thus Christian and missionary alliance. We're about sending people into the world because they must hear the truth. So don't get me wrong. There's this balance. There's the sovereign aspect of God where God comes and he speaks into Dana and says, let there be light. And there's a sovereign aspect. But there's also this aspect that he has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to move the gospel into the world. He's chosen gardeners to send into the world so that the plant might grow. And there's a balance there between his sovereign action and the choices and the speaking of the word of truth that we have. Thus, I said this before, but chances are, if you're out, um, you know, seeing a band at a bar at night, I don't know, maybe out there just kind of hanging out, and you decide while you're there watching, I don't know, modern day Romeos or something like that, you choose not to drink alcohol. Okay? You choose to go up to the bar and you're like, all right, can I have a 7-Up instead? And then I'm just wagering that there's probably a good chance while you're there, someone is not going to come up to you and say, you know, I was just wondering, I see that you're drinking 7-Up. Can you tell me about the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ in your life? Because I could say that your life is significantly different because you're drinking 7-Up here in this context. And I'm saying that that will not happen, okay? There's some speaking of the truth that has to happen in the life of individuals for them to question the beauty and glory of God. Don't, don't let me limit the fact that God can still save people however He wants, but the Bible actually says this is how He does it, through the Word of God. And then also, and I'm implying this, but if you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's a couple pages before this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
there's this aspect, and, and I'm kind of leaving this out, but I'll describe it now, of the Spirit of God who's at work. The Spirit of God is at work. First Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. That's an incredible passage, isn't it? Like, this is huge. God, God basically says, I'm God, and, and I, I have a limitless amount of vocabulary. I can make words up. I've made everything. And I just want to let you know that I can't describe what I'm going to do for you in the future. I mean, that's just incredible, an incredible promise. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, here it is. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, verse 14, key here, right? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges everything, but it's himself to be judged by no one, for he, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. What I'm getting at is that there's the Word of God, there's the speaking of the Word of God, there is the hearing of the Word of God, and there is the spiritual impact of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the individual creating creative light, making light happen in the lives of individuals. But God has chosen to do that through the administration of the church. He's chosen to do that by sending speakers into the world. He's chosen to do that by opening up our mouths of, of us delighting in the truth, speaking of the truth, hearing the truth, and His creative power happening. It's, it's a lot like gardening. It really is. There's a lot of uh, naturalistic metaphors around that you can get at. Um, this just happens to be one of them. Okay. All right. Seeing the light of Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Um, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes spiritual power to actually understand the gospel and all of its truth. All right, seeing the light of Christ equals the knowledge of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, which we already read about. Point number one, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the creative power of God. Are you with me? He's the one in Colossians 1 that said that he spoke and he made everything that there is. He was the... He administered the creative power of God. I mean, don't get me wrong. God the Father was involved as well, and so was the Holy Spirit. You can see that in Genesis 1. But Jesus was involved in the creation of everything. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Part of that is the fact that He came to the Israel as their Messiah, and they were like, get out of here. Of course, that was all to the plan of God, because they put Him on the cross. Some people did believe. Uh, don't get me wrong, but that's kind of what ended up happening. They rejected, and thus the gospel came to the Gentile nations as well. Part of their rejection actually results in our salvation. Jesus, though, is the light of the world. And we see this in John chapter 1. You guys know this passage, right? In Him was light, and that light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is no way that any form of darkness can overcome the light of Christ. He is light. Defined. 
He holds the darkness. You know, like it says in Psalm 139, that even the darkness is light to Him. There is nowhere where we can hide. We cannot descend into the depths of the earth or onto the highest hills. There is no place that we can go where God cannot see us. For some, that's a scary thing. For me, it's like, yeah, go God. This is the God that I think I can follow. This is the God that I think I can worship. This is the God that, that I can cling to and follow and give my life to. This is not an impotent God. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. This would be John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light to Jesus. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And then in John 3, uh, verse 19, right after John 3:16, For God so loved the world. For God did not... Uh, condemned the world, but he sent his son. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Uh, John goes on and continues by the Spirit and says, "And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The light of God, the creative light and power of God, has come into the world, being made manifest inside of a human body, inside of a human form." That. And Paul wrote about it too in Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful passage. Um, the light has come into the world, and this is sad, but it's so true. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In other words, they're like, hey, I'm going to follow you, light of the world. Yeah, you can be the light of the world. I don't care. I'm going to follow you as long as you give me free food. If you give me free food, I'm going to follow you. Man, I'll do everything I can if I don't have to work and you can just give me free food and we can just hang out and have a big party. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Don't work for the food that perishes and you get hungry again and you have to eat. This is about something greater. This is something greater than just the sun. It's more magnificent even than the sun. The sun will one day be gone. His glory will remain forever and ever. In John 8, 12, Jesus said again, uh, speaking to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just an incredible passage of truth in one of the I am statements. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. By the way, speaking of this, Satan is wanting to... Be, are you seeing this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? One of the things that Satan does is he's trying to blind people to that light. He's trying to blind people to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ as manifested through Jesus. By the way, this passage, although it does not talk about... the, You know, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3 that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and then He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's like a core kernel of gospel truth. That gospel is not here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but it's all through it all. It's all through it all. The scene, the removal of the blinding, the removal of the blinders, and the scene of the glory of the gospel of Christ, the scene of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is saving faith. And, and that is impossible without Jesus' atoning death on the cross, his substitutionary atoning death, and then his burial. How long was he in the grave? Three days and three nights, which is the sign of Jonah. Just like, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the angel came down, there was an earthquake, they rolled the stone away, and our Savior was raised imperishable, Never to die again, conquering sin, conquering Satan, conquering death, and, and, and the penalty of it all. And he was raised imperishable, the first fruits of those who have been raised. Not raised like raised to die again, but we're talking about resurrected life. The first one to be raised. And he wants the whole 
army of people that are like that. So Satan's all about trying to blind. But he does a, a whole bunch of other stuff, by the way. All kinds of things. He, he hinders missions, missions work. He tries to block people. That's the same idea. You see this where Paul's like, I was trying to come to you. Satan keeps blocking me. You know, and he's, tr- he's trying to do all that. He, um, he steals away truth when people hear it. You know, when you're seeding, when you're actually doing that seed work and you're planting the seeds. This, Jesus actually talked about that. He's like a bird that comes along and eats the seed so people can't see it. That's part of that blinding thing. He can bring sickness. He's involved in sexual temptations. He's involved in, pri- in pride. He prompted murderous intentions and anger in Cain and can still do that today. We, gotta be, we don't want to be uh, unaware of the way that he's working. Don't get mad at the people that you're ministering to because they're not understanding the truth. Are you with me? Because I tend to do that sometimes. I'm like, what's with you, man? Why are you being so dumb? Can't you see it? And, and I'm saying, like, what is wrong? I've asked God on a number of occasions, you know, it would be a lot easier if I could just go and just hit people with this book rather than trying to explain it to them. Because they're just not listening. And, and I'm serious, in my humanity, I, have you ever felt that kind of tension? And sometimes, sometimes I've even given in to the tension and gotten into the level of, of unfruitful arguments. You know what I'm saying? And this issue of creation that Paul's been talking about, that's a minefield, baby. It's huge. There's all kinds of minefields there. You know, people will deviate. They don't want to talk about the cross. They're like, yeah, let's talk about the origins of man. You know, you guys don't believe in that. It's make fun of you. And don't you guys have like a creation like museum somewhere? <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are <laughs> you guys are not smart. You're just not smart. And this is a huge minefield. And we can tend to like, go down the road of, of um, argumentative thought. Don't go down that road. Have your eyes opened up. I was sharing with the kids a couple weeks ago one of, my, one, of, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the story of Elisha. Elisha, the prophet after Elijah, and the king that was trying to uh, assail Israel. And Elisha kept telling the Israelite king, like, don't go there because there's going to be a, an ambush. And the king, the other king, the enemy king, got so mad. He's like, he got all of his leaders together and he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm whooping one of you because one of you guys is a traitor. One of you all is, is, is telling the king What's going on? And then one of those guys like, oh, king, I just want to tell you that it's not one of us. There's this man, Elisha, and he tells the king of Israel what you tell your wife in your bedroom. And then he ran away. You can just feel it. Like, he's like, ah! And he's like, where is that man? And they went to find him and they found it. They found out where he was at and they brought the whole army to bear. Do you guys know the story? They brought the whole army to bear. And Elisha, I got this feeling like he's in this house on the top of a hill and his servant is like, ah! we're going to die! We're going to die. And Elisha's like, what's wrong? He's like, there's a whole army outside, man. We're going to die. And Elisha's like, no, 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 no. There's more with us than there are with them. He's like, what are you talking about? There's just the two of us. All you have is a stick. And, well, he didn't say that, but that's probably what he's thinking anyway. And, um, and then what happened? He, he prayed. The whole war, the whole battle was actually won with prayer. He said, the first thing he said was, Lord, open up my servant, the servant's eyes so you can see and as soon as he opened up his eyes, there was like the whole field was filled with angelic beings in chariots of fire with swords, man. That's the real angelic beings. You know what I'm talking about? Not these like little things, you know, cherub, little bows. I mean, they have like, we're talking about like flaming swords of fire. Yeah. And uh, they talk, by the way, the Jesus movie, if you guys have ever researched that, 
There was a whole, if you've ever read any of the stories of the Jesus film and how it's being used around the world, I'm assuming they're still doing it, but there was one testimony of, a, of some people who tried to steal the film equipment and they actually were prevented by beings with flaming swords like that. And I'm like, see? And they didn't hear anything about it. That's the kind of angel that you read about in the Bible. And uh, so they saw this whole army. And then, God, and then he was like, blind them. And he brings the whole army to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is like, come with me. Just like on a leash. And they come with them. And the king of Israel is like, should we kill him? Should we kill him? And he's like, no, man, we're going to have a party. Have a party. Give them a piece. They're like, all right. They give them a party. Then they let them all go. And they stop fighting. What I'm saying is, do you have spiritual eyes to see? that you're not fighting their mind. You're fighting spiritual forces. You're fighting demonic beings that are, are, are attempting to hold people captive. They're trying to hold them captive. And, and part of this is a spiritual force and an impact, spiritual power. It requires spiritual power. Not just emotional content memory or communication with the voice. It actually is spiritual. And so don't... Don't lend yourself down, don't go down that road of getting into an argument when you're really wrestling with the demon or with an angelic host that is attempting to blind your neighbor or blind your family member or blind the one that you love or your coworker. It's not your coworker that you're wrestling with. There's some spiritual forces at work. I think Paul's going to do a whole series on that with this creation thing. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Hopefully you are too. All right, so seeing the light of Christ, blinded persons. Blind, blinded persons consider the facts of the gospel, but they see, this is important, you guys, they see no compelling spiritual beauty in it. They do not treasure it. Okay? They might assent to the intellectual facts of it, but they have not been transformed. Their tastes have not been changed. They have not seen Christ and, and recognized Him as the pearl that is above all other pearls that they would sell everything for, drop everything for, take up their cross and follow Him without reservation, doing whatever it is that He asks of them because they have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. They do not have a true sense of the divine excellency of the things revealed in the Word of God and a conviction of the truth and a reality arising them in their hearts that brings about transformational change. You can, be a, you can say that you're a believer, and if you don't have power to live for Christ, it could be the possibility that you're still blinded to the truth and you haven't really seen all that you are to see in Christ and had your taste changed away from the things of the world to the things of God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a sanctifying work that takes place in all of our lives. We're all wrestling with these things, with the light. Seeing the light of Christ results in our transfer from darkness to light. In Ephesians 5.8, it says this, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light, but now you are the light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. In Colossians 1, it says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Um, in, um, in, into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I've got to reread that. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Peter actually says it this way, for you were called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This is, this is saving work. This is the wind stuff in John chapter 3 that the wind blows whichever direction it wants to go. You don't see it, but you see the effects of it. What do you see the effects of? One just popped out of the darkness and is now in the light. They were just transferred out of the kingdom of darkness 
and are now in the kingdom of their beloved son. How can you see the effects of it? Life transformation. It's life transformation. Something changes on the inside when your eyes are opened. You begin to see things differently. You begin to equate things differently. You begin to assess the world through spiritual eyes, through the mind of Christ, rather than through uh, just our human senses alone. Seeing the light of Christ transfers us out of Satan's dominion and places us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I already read that in Colossians 1. Uh, in Acts 26, I already said that too. From the power of Satan unto God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that God wants his servants to not be quarrelsome, but to be gentle uh, when correcting people who are in opposition to biblical teaching, um, that they might come to their senses having escaped the snare of the devil because they're being held captive by him. By false teaching. They're being held captive by him. God's wanting us. And, you know, we make fun of this. I said this earlier, but we're making fun of it. But there really is a dominion of, of darkness. There really is a demonic kingdom. Was it true when, G, when, when uh, Jesus was tempted and Satan said, I own all of these kingdoms. I'll give them to you all if you bow down and worship me. Was he lying when he said that? I don't think so. Even Paul recognized little G, but he's the God of this world. In some way, he's been delivered over authority in the lives of individuals. There's a dominion of, and, and you can read about it in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were all walking according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In Hebrews chapter 2, there's a beautiful passage that says that Jesus actually became flesh and blood to deliver those who through the fear of death were held subject to lifelong slavery by Satan. By Satan. He uses the fear of death to hold people captive and to blind them to the truth. And I'm saying, like, I don't really look forward to dying. I don't look forward to it at all because I don't like pain. I used that on my dentist one time. You know, when he, he came, he's like, do you need Novocaine when he's going to drill on my tooth? I'm like, I don't know. Is it going to hurt? And he's like, well, some people, you know, um, don't, don't mind pain. You know, and they could take it. And I'm like, well, I could take pain. So he starts scooting over to me, you know, and I'm like, until it hurts. So you better use something on my tooth, all right? That's a one-liner that I got from a Bible track from Ray Comfort, by the way. So I'm kind of laughing about that. All right. So uh, I did use that track on him. It was pretty funny. All right. Seeing the light of Christ fills us with admiration and love for God. I love this passage. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That's like God's covenant-keeping name. This is the name that says, like, when I put my name on the line, I'm coming through. And he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to circumcise your heart. Paul speaks about this in the New Testament when he says that God actually creates a circumcision without human hands and that he circumcises our heart. And God says in Deuteronomy in the law that he'll do this so that we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul that we might live. And then Peter writes about it too. This is a passage that I run to sometimes when I doubt, when I have doubts. And I do have doubts from time to time. Things creep in and I'm tempted either through my own humanity or through... Uh, spiritual temptation, Peter says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And, and here's a fruit. This is an application piece. Do you love him? Even though you haven't seen him, do you love him? I mean, how, how can that be? How can you actually love someone that you're not in a relationship with physically that's in front of you? How could that even possibly happen? And yet, and yet it does. In fact, in many ways, um, the Bible says that love relationship should be the most significant relationship that you have, even more intimate than the relationship between a husband and a wife in some ways. Because remember what Jesus said? Like, uh, your love 
to me should make your love for your children and your family look like hatred. I mean, he's using an exaggerated speech, but you get the idea. I mean, and we love him even though we have not seen him. It's, it's a fascinating thing. And all of this is through seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. So verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's the center of it all. He's the center of it all. So how do you apply this? Well, I have the questions on the, on the handout. Have you truly seen the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? Have you seen? Is he of all surpassing value to you? Or is it just kind of a, yeah, you know, it's part of my life. Christianity, is, it defines me in certain areas, but it's not the definitive characteristic of my life. The definitive characteristic of my life is my boat. Okay, that's really what it is. That's the defining characteristic of my life. What is it that you're spending, what is it that you invest your time in your, in your mind on? What is it that you're investing your most language on? What is it that you're investing your money in? What is it? It will unveil where your investments really lie. And, and I ask the question, have you truly seen him? Has his spiritual beauty become the most significant treasure in your life beyond anything else in your life, even the greatest blessings that he's brought into your life? Is he really there? If so, you're seeing him. And it's because God has spoken light into your life. Have you been transferred out of the dominion of Satan to God? What about those around you? Have they been transferred? Are you seeing them with spiritual eyes? Are you seeing in truth? Have you come out of darkness and into his marvelous light? If so, the application is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is where we're going to end. But it says this. If you have seen him, you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a people of God's own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what's the application from that verse? If he has called you from darkness to light, our role in that is to proclaim his greatness, just to declare how good he is. And if you have treasured him by seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ, this is not a burden. It's a joy. It hurts when you see people reject him. Don't get me wrong. It's painful because you know the value of who he is. But the value of his worth continues to cling to your heart at a level of perseverance not to give up because your hope is not in their ability but in God's ability to say, let there be light. And you never know when he's going to do it. But he does do it. I've seen it time and time again, and he's faithful to accomplish this. Let's pray. We're going to sing a song. Father, we give you thanks. And we ask that you would help us to proclaim your excellent greatness in all of your ways, for you have delivered us from the dominion of darkness. You've removed us from the power of Satan, from the power of sin in our own lives that have captured us and held us in bondage. And you have brought us into your marvelous light. Help us to to understand it, to value you in the way that you deserve to be valued more and more and more and more until that day when beyond a shadow of a doubt the entire earth sees the glory of the Lord when Jesus comes to be marveled at among those who have believed. And we give you thanks. 
Come, bring life where there is no life. Bring light where there is darkness. And teach us to declare your greatness in every way. Not only when it's easy, but also when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen.